0: One of the most common questions I'm asked as a pastor, especially by people currently in some stressful situation, is why did God do this? Why did God allow this to happen to me and or my loved one? And when I hear that question, I start to talk to myself about a couple of things. First of all, Paul, be sure to affirm the faith that is in that age-old question, because God is still in the equation of their suffering, and that needs to be affirmed. So that's my first word to myself. The second word is, this person is probably not looking for a philosophical, theological answer. They're looking to just express their pain and to have a pastor come along beside them. So I don't usually pull out one of my favorite quotes from Peter Kreeft who tries to summarize the problem of pain this way. He says it's created because of the apparent inconsistency between four propositions. God exists, he's all-powerful, he's all-loving, and evil and suffering exists. He says it seems like we need to get rid of one of those in order to solve the problem, but the Christian has to hold on to all four of them and try to solve the problem. I could get theological. I could start with a story in Genesis and say, God created all things good, very good. He created humanity with a free will, the freedom to choose. And in that, they chose to rebel, to disobey God, and to turn against him, and go their own way. And since then, this whole creation has fallen and broken and sin and suffering and pain and death have all been a part of this fallen, broken world. God isn't necessarily in-causing all that suffering. He's the one who's trying to bring some good out of it. At the primary statement of that is Jesus Christ, his coming, living among us, his, his ministry of healing, his resurrection that conquered death, his promised return to make all things right in this broken world. And when there's a new heaven and a new earth, we're told in Scripture, there will be no pain, no suffering, no crying, no grief, no death. See, I could get theological too, but when I look at the way Peter deals with the problem of suffering, he knows that the churches he's writing to, just like the people who are often asking me, uh, they, need, they need some encouragement. Not so much an explanation of why, the reasons behind the suffering, but more an explanation of what do we do now? How do we live in a time of suffering? I think that's why the question is, what's the Christian way of suffering. And Peter's been weaving this theme through his whole letter, but especially last week's text and this week's text, he focuses on it. So what do we learn from these paragraphs of chapter four? There's three of them, so let's just track the paragraphs. What do we learn about the Christian way of suffering as we continue this study? I think there are three relationships in these paragraphs. The first one seems to focus on Our relationship with unbelievers in a suffering world, in a broken, fallen world, what's our relationship with them? Just as Christ lived here and suffered and dealt with sin right in the thick of it, so Christians are told to to enter into that same suffering. We arm ourselves in that suffering in order that we too might deal appropriately, maybe in a limited sense, with our own sin. With some amount of tongue-in-cheek and humor, Peter says in verse 3, friends, you've already spent enough time in the world of sin. You've already spent enough time doing what unbelievers, Gentiles, pagans do. And he stacks some pretty big words like, how often do you use the word licentiousness? Um, Wild living is what it means. Passions, lusts. Drunkenness, we use. We know what that is. Revels, orgies is another translation. Carousing, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. It's interesting in this false worship, often drinking and sexual sin were part of the liturgy of false worship. And Peter's saying, no, we've we've come out of that. You no longer do that. And because of your antisocial newfound behavior in Jesus Christ, they're they're likely to revile you and to irritate you, but don't let that bother you, he's saying. Even if they irritate you, someday they're going to come before something worse than irritation. They're going to come before the judgment of God, unless they respond to the gospel, the good news, just as you did. And I think when it comes to the verse 6, the gospel being proclaimed even to those who are now dead. They're people who received that gospel, lived into it, and are now alive in the the spirit because they received it. What do we take from all this about our suffering? I think it's easy to see that some of the suffering, Christians down through the centuries, maybe even you to some degree, some of the suffering you've experienced is because of your coming out of the world of sin and people sense that either you don't like them or that somehow you think you're holier than them and they'll heap some irritation. They'll revile you and me when we do that. But God has called us out of a life of sin to live for him and his will, doing his desires And when that happens, we we need to recognize not only are we called out of that life of sin, but we're also called to take the gospel back to the people who are still in it. And so that's one of the challenges of this text is how do we come out of that life of sin, separate ourselves, and at the same time keep going back to offer the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, because any of those people can do just what we've done, and that is... Come out of the life of sin and into the life that God has for us in following Him alive in the Spirit. One of the heroes of this process in my lifetime for me has been Chuck Colson, who was convicted of crimes in the Watergate years and was sent to prison because of that. Uh, I remember how the press were all over him at the beginning because. He, at one time, is quoted to have said, I would run over my grandmother for Richard Nixon. And now he's claiming to be born again. I remember Rolling Stone just laughing at Chuck Colson and his thinking that he could somehow turn around that kind of wicked life. And yet I look back on now decades. We've lost him. He's been promoted, now dead with the Lord, But I look back on decades of faithful, consistent, following the Lord. Not only did he come out of a life of sin, but he went right back into the prisons around the world with a a ministry that continues after his death. He left behind books that clearly confront cultural issues from a Christian viewpoint. Chuck Colson lived a consistent life of both coming out of the life of sin into the life God had for him, and yet going back into that life of sin to share the good news of Jesus Christ, not to do the sin himself, but to take the gospel to those people. And so it is, we Christians are going to come under fire all the time and trying to come away and yet keep going back to share the good news. That's going to be troublesome for you and me, but that's how Peter encourages this first-century group of churches to suffer, be willing to suffer, even as Christ did that very same thing. In the second paragraph, verses 7 through 11, it's a different theme. It's a theme about our relationship, not with unbelievers, but with other believers. And that first statement is pretty clear. The end of all things is near. Maybe you're saying, well, haven't we been saying that for 2,000 years now? When are we going to get over that and maybe move on to another theme? But I want to remind you that that's our our hope still today, is that there's really nothing between this moment and God setting up his kingdom but for the the patience of God. We're waiting for him to come and take this broken world and, and make it new and set things right. That's what we want. We don't know the timeline, but that's what we're waiting for. And the church in the very first century was waiting for it. We continue to wait for it. The one thing Peter in the whole New Testament stresses is while we're waiting, we're not just to be twiddling our thumbs, looking to the heavens of no earthly good, but we're to be practicing these disciplines that are mentioned here in verses 7 through 11. Disciplines like our prayers, Whenever we pray like we did earlier in the service, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're we're looking for something of what we're longing for in the end of all things. And so we should be sane and sober in our prayers. We should be loving toward one another and a love that forgives, Peter says. We're to be hospitable to one another And notice it's not just opening our homes, but it's opening our hearts. We're to do it without complaining. We're to be serving one another with the gifts that God has given us through his Spirit. Serving if we speak, to speak the words of God. If we serve, to use the strength God gives. So in the end, the credit doesn't come to you and me. We're just stewards of God's grace, but the credit goes to God who gets the glory. Amen. And so that, that is the theme through this section, is how we are to be relating to one another. And you may ask, what does that have to do with suffering? Well, I'd like to suggest that when suffering gets intense, and it was just growing in this first century group of churches, but when it gets intense, our relationships with one another is going to become more and more important. We're going to have to be praying for one another. We're going to have to be loving one another and forgiving those stumbles in our lives. We're going to have to maybe open our homes to one another when pressures come economically. We're going to have to be a people who serve one another with all the gifts God has given us. And it's in that mutual encouragement that we have a chance to give some glimpse of the kingdom to come. People ought to be able to look at the church and see something of what God desires in in healthier human relationships. And so Peter, and again, the whole New Testament, give us some guidelines on how we're to behave. Even when suffering is coming, we can band together. I remember a a prayer I used to use often with a a wedding couple, and I would say, now our, our joys are doubled because of the two of us, and our burdens now are halved because we can share the load. And so it is in the church. We're intended to join in with joy with one another. It gets multiplied. And then when tough times come, we can bear the load with one another. That's what Peter intends for our relationships. That's what we're called to as a suffering people. Then in verses 12 through 19, we come to another relationship, not just with unbelievers and with believers, but with God himself. This is so central and critical that Peter seems to be stressing this as he rehearses some of the other things we've learned. He says, don't be surprised, but rejoice. Don't consider it a a disgrace, but glorify God. How can we do that in the midst of, of pain and suffering? Well, he suggests we do it because we need to be related to the God who loves us. Notice in verse 13, we're sharing Christ's sufferings. That may not sound real encouraging, but again, we're, we're doing what he did. We're suffering in, in the flesh. And that's not all bad because someday we'll share not just his sufferings, but his glories. Sufferings for a little while, glories forever. And we follow him in both. And so we can be encouraged that suffering has a limit to it. That's one of the hopes, the The end of all things is near. It's limited as we know it. Not only Christ's sufferings, but look at verse 14 at the end. The Spirit of God is resting on you. It's good to remember on this Pentecost that one of the key reasons Jesus sent his Spirit to be with us when he was ascended into heaven was to be our comforter, to be the one who comes alongside us and and helps us in these pressures of life. That God gave us the gift of the Spirit, not just to empower us, but to encourage us and help us. And then finally, down in verse 16, we hear the name of God, and 17, the household of God. We're part of God's family. He's our, our father, and it seems that there's a, a discipline, a father's. A father's loving discipline that the Christian comes under that the author of Hebrews reminds us of. But here Peter is speaking of the same sort of thing where there's some tough things that start to happen in the household of God. But friends, it gets a whole lot worse for those who aren't in his household. And there's almost this escalating process we read in verses 17 and 18 that if we're willing to put up with a little bit of God's loving discipline in this life, it will be a whole lot better than putting up with a more harsh judgment and punishment of the life in the hereafter separated from him. And so there's this contrast in verse 18 between those who are saved and those who are continuing in ungodly, sinful behavior. So the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he's creator, redeemer, comforter, That God wants to come and enfold us and love us and care for us even in our suffering. He's with us in that so that we might be with him eternally in glory. So what would Peter say in some for us, those of us who are suffering here in the flesh in some dimension or another that's part of living in a fallen, broken world? He would say, I, I'm not too sure about the, the whys. That's really not my, import, my Im, import and stress. But I'm more concerned about the what. What we do, how we behave, how we respond to the suffering. So remember to come away from sin. Don't let that be the reason for your suffering. Come away from that and yet take the good news of Jesus back to those who are still in it. Remember your your family of God relationships. Work on those. Depend on one another. But most of all, depend on the God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who wants to help you in the midst of this fallen world. He is the only one who can give any of us a living hope right in the midst of our suffering. Let's pray. God, we do need that living hope. So would you come and help us as your people to live for you in the flesh so that we might live with you in the spirit forever and ever. Come, encourage us, I pray, through your spirit in Christ's name, amen.